Good to see you all. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Thanks for visiting us here tonight. Um, Lord has us in numbers. I almost said the Lord has us in Romans. The Lord has us in numbers here this evening. Go ahead and please open to Numbers chapter 12, please. I'll go ahead and move this out of the way here for you. Yeah, it's the little things. Apparently I'm not going to move it too far. And yes, I'm going anyway. That's right. We have wire people that can figure how to make that work again. You call your wire people my people, right? God's wire people. Well, as the Lord has brought us here this evening, and we look at chapter 12 of Numbers, we just finished an interesting chapter 11, where we saw God uh, really dealing with the idea of lusts and that cravings cannot rule our lives. You know, the fact that our lusts and our flesh like that can't rule our lives. And here we go into this... Um, you know, I, I can't help but thinking, I mean, look, we've been studying this book so far. We've uh, looked at the fact that really the rest of this book from chapter 10, really verse 11 on, comprises about 38 years. Just think about that. The whole book of Leviticus comprises about one month, okay? And when you begin to study the, the book of Numbers and you begin to think about it, God could have put through the Holy Spirit, anything in this book. I mean, 38 years, what couldn't he have captured? But he specifically chose points, things for us to see, to reflect on, uh, I believe very much for us to learn today from. Well, it's just like it says in Romans. I guess we are going to go to Romans. Hold your finger here. Romans chapter 15. You see? The Holy Spirit's right always. Romans 15. Look, look at verse 4. Because I don't know about you, but I, I think, you know, as we study the word, I, I sometimes think back and I, I, Lord, you know, 38 years, you could have put so many different historical uh, activities, so many different accounts. And Lord, these specific ones you chose through your Holy Spirit to, to leave as a witness, to bear witness to you and I, to have as examples we read in 1 Corinthians 10. And, and why? Why You ever wonder, Lord, why this? I mean, 38 years, it could have been anything. Why this? As we're going to read in chapter 12, as we see a dissension between Miriam and Aaron from Moses. Really, the first time Moses is going to have to deal with anything like this. I think it's the Lord knew that, obviously, there would be this again and again and over and over. And it's many times from the people that are closest to you that it hurts the most. And I think that's why he preserved it for you and I. So we would understand exactly how to handle that in meekness, just as Moses, one of the most meek men to have walked the earth. We'll look at chapter 15, verse 4. It says, for whatever things were written before, were written for what? Our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may be with one mind and one mouth. How about that? Glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's the scriptures that bring us into unity. You know, it's interesting, and, I, and then we're going to jump in line by line, but you, you know, people have visited the fellowship here. And a lot of times when they come in, even when they're visiting, one of the things I love uh, Sometimes it gets back to me from the elders or, or ushers or different people. And they say, you know, we really do feel like family when we come in here. Even if we're visiting and it's our first time, we feel like family. We're treated like family. It's the body of Christ. No one ha thinks they're better than anybody else. I mean, all the way from the children's ministry 
and the little kiddos coming out of there to the adults and every other aspect of ministry here. And I, and I really believe it's like Romans 15.4 says that you, you can't produce that. You can't lather that up as a culture. You can't bottle that. You can't programmatically make that. What that comes from is from the word of God. Because it draws us into unity, one mouth, one like-mindedness. Like because we all find our unity and agreement in the word. We don't look at the differences. We're not focused on anything that would divide us, but we all focus on the one thing that unifies us, and that's Jesus Christ. You know, when I, when I talk to young pastors or other pastors and other works, at, well, what, are, what are you doing in Calvary Chapel? How? How has the Lord done this in such a short year, you know, period of years like this? And I just tell them, read the word. Love the people that will come in. Be willing to lay your life down for them. And if you teach that to the flock and the flock reproduces, they too will do the same thing for their brothers and sisters that walk through that door, even if it's the first time they've met them. It's special because it's all based on Jesus Christ and the word of God. Well, we see that when there's dissension, clearly something has to happen. Clearly there's a reason. I mean, we're going to go into this passage tonight again. Moses is a man. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Feel as he would feel. The closest person to you, right? One of the closest people to you. Maybe your brother, or your sister, you know, blood relative, some, somebody that you've entrusted. And, you know, they're even your older brother or sister. They helped raise you. They grew you up. You know what I mean? Think of Miriam. She was there, remember? She the, the ark and the wa- and then she went around and is commanded by Pharaoh's daughter. He grabbed, you know, she grabbed him, she brought him to her actual birth mother to be to be nursed that way, on, on command of Pharaoh's daughter. Just think about that for a moment. That's Miriam. Aaron, when Moses was being called and he was afraid, his big brother Aaron, you know, he comes back and says, I, I can't do this. I can't, I, can't, I can't speak. God says, well, then bring your big brother. He says, I'll use him as a mouthpiece. Just think about that for a minute. These are real people with real feelings, real emotions. And Moses at this time, he's about 81 years old, somewhere in that range. Then Miriam and Aaron pay attention to the order of names. In the Hebrew, order of names matter. Spoke against, that word there and that idea there is in the feminine. It's in the feminine gender. That speaks to not only precedent, being at Miriam's first, but also in the Hebrew when it's feminine like that and it's conjugated, that helps us to understand where it's being authored from. So if we read this in the Hebrew, we read this in text, it looks like Miriam is the one that's speaking but Aaron is sort of there kind of in agreement with what Miriam's going to say. And it says that they spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, this is the first time we're introduced to him marrying someone else. Originally, who was Moses married to? Zipporah. So we, 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 we assume she's, she's passed away. I mean, Moses is 81 at this point. She's probably passed away or she's no longer in the scene. Certainly, we're not told any other reason. Probably, she went to be with the Lord. And so here's Moses 81. You know, he, 
you know, he's being called to lead pastor a church of two to three million people. And, you know, the Lord brings him this woman he looks upon and he marries her. And Miriam and Aaron have an opinion. Families have an opinion, don't they? Strong opinions, might I add. Well, Miriam has this opinion in Aaron, and, and immediately it looks like there's something about this woman that they don't like. But we'll read further on. That's really not the case. It's not the woman. But what do we learn about this, this Ethiopian woman? Well, first of all, you know, Zipporah, she was the daughter of a Midianite priest, Jethro, right? So she was either Kenite or a Midianite like that. But this woman's an Ethiopian. More than likely, the scholars believe she was from the Sudanese or Sudan area. Okay? She would also, you know, North Africa. So her skin color would have been darker that way. And, you know. And it says, whom he had married, for he married an Ethiopian woman. Nothing in Scripture forbids this. There's not one single thing in Scripture that forbids him from taking her as a wife. So it can't be an obstacle with God, and it can't be a problem here. What's going on in Miriam and Aaron's heart? I mean, after all, there must be something, right? I'm sure, you know, ladies, men, when your spouses or even friends, when you're having a discussion and sometimes you feel like you're being attacked at that moment, often it's not usually about what you're actually being attacked about. Usually there's something more at the, ba- you know, at the root of it. Well, it's interesting here. Because what do they say next in verse 2 that reveals their heart? So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Now the idea, again, in the Hebrew and how this is being said is this is almost broadcasted. This isn't something where they pulled Moses aside, Aaron and Miriam, and said, has the Lord spoke only to you? He's almost, you know, I mean, even by the way, hey, has the Lord only speak through Moses? Is this the only guy? Huh? How about it? That's really what's happening right here. Can you imagine in front of two to three million people where the multitudes are gathered, how that would have cut Moses deep? Like, where is this coming from? I, I didn't do anything against Scripture. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't break any commandment in the Word of God. Where is this coming from? Why, why are you raising contention or strife like this? Has he not spoken through us also? Now, hasn't he? He did. He's spoken to Aaron, and he's spoken to Miriam, but he primarily spoke to them through visions, dreams, and or, you know, like a prophet. Sometimes that's how he would speak to them. But we read that, you know, he had a special relationship with Moses, an intimacy with him. When he would speak to Moses, he uses a Hebrew idiom, face-to-face. We know already in the Bible that it says in Exodus that no one has ever seen the face of God. So we we know it's not literally face-to-face, but he's describing the Hebridium of the closeness, the the beauty that they shared. And and, and God's going to bring that out in a minute. But this is going on. And what's it say next? And the Lord heard it. Are we surprised by that? Does Does the Lord not hear everything? But what were they thinking at that moment? That's right, they weren't thinking. They were going based off of their 
emotions. But we still haven't got to the root of it. Is it, is it something Moses did in his leadership? Is there some reason that someone closest to him in leadership like that is, you know, literally there attacking Moses? Why would this happen? Well, we read on and we're going we're gonna to be told why. Now, the man Moses was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Just think about that for a minute. Why would God preserve that for us? And poor Moses, I say it this way, why would he have to write it? I mean, here's the humblest man in all the earth that has to write, I'm the humblest man in all of the earth. I mean, he's like, God, do I really have to write that? In the Pentateuch, I mean, he did author the first five books as the Lord inspired him. Do I really have to write that? I don't think this is going to come across correctly. It's like doing a Bible study on, you know, humility. You know, we're going to talk about meekness in a minute in Scripture here. But, but he says, now, the man Moses was very humble. What, what's this idea with humble? Again, in the Hebrew, we see this, this, this is this idea here that they would rather take on injury upon themselves than to give injury to others. Do you know people like that? That you maybe watch as they're being insulted and they never respond with a harsh word back? They'd rather be quiet and take it upon themselves rather than insult or hurt someone else. You think, you see, that's really meekness. That's humility, and that's what this word means here. It really connotes more of meekness than, well, it's similar to humility in verse 3. You know, and God says, hey, look, when you compare to the face of earth, this guy, Moses, there's something different about him. Well, what's the Bible say about meekness? Well, just, I'd like to go over a few scriptures with you. You don't necessarily have to write them down. You can listen to the recording. You don't have to turn there, but just the idea that I think this has a lot more to do with what he said in verse 2. That everything had to do with jealousy or envy. And he was so meek and not responding that way. It just infuriated Miriam. It infuriated Aaron. They were jealous. They were jealous of the relationship that God had with Moses. Rather than being content with the relationship they had. They were comparing themselves to other people. I would suggest to you that the Proverbs describe specifically, and I'm trying to remember the exact proverb, forgive me. Um, I believe it's Proverbs 13.10. Let's turn in, our, turn in the Proverbs for a moment here. It clearly tells us what the ingredient for this looks like. Pride, strife. Look at this with me. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. By pride comes nothing but strife and contention, but with a well-advised is wisdom. Were Miriam and Aaron not bringing strife and contention to Moses? Did he not have enough going on as a pastor of a church of two to three million people? Right? You, you with me? Did he not have enough going on? But, but they felt the need you know, to bring additional strife and contention. And the Bible tells us that whenever you see strife and contention, that it's always by pride. That's what it says there. By pride comes nothing but strife or contention. It's not one without the other. 
when you see strife and contention, the root of that is often pride. That's what Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says. So what are, why are they being prideful? What's going on? Why are they not meek? Which is why God gives us in verse 3 that Moses is humble. He's revealing the opposite of what they were. They were full of pride, but Moses was meek. Well, what's the Bible say? Well, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, right? Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord, all you humble or meek of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of our Lord's anger. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 19. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. God has a lot to say about this. First Peter chapter 3, verse 4. But let it be hidden, or let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. You see, this also explains the intimacy that Moses had with God. Because God rejects the proud and the boastful. But the meek and the humble? Psalm chapter 37, verse 11. But the, un, but the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in, in abundant prosperity. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to, opposed to the proud but gives what? You know this passage, grace to the humble. Psalm 25, 9. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way because the glass isn't overfilling with pride. It's able to be poured into. It's able to be poured into. Psalm 69, verse 32. The humble have seen it and are glad. You who see God, let your heart Revive. You want revival? Come with a humble heart. It's an ingredient. Psalm 147, verse 6. The Lord supports the afflicted. He brings down the wicked to the ground. Isaiah 29, 19. The afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, for my hand made all these things. That should just humble you right there. When you begin to hear this Lord speak of how he've created everything, there should be a reverence and a humility. He's, God's going to bring that up here in a few verses. He's going to say, where's the reverence? How dare you? How dare you do that, Aaron and Miriam? Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and a contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. In that day, or in that day, you will feel no shame because all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me, for I will remove them from your midst, your proud, exalting ones, and you will never be haughty. Just think about that on my holy mountain. Who's God? Whose mountain? God's holy mountain. Jerusalem. But I will leave among you a humble and a lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. James chapter 4, verse 6. 
but he gives greater grace. Therefore, God is what? We read this, opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We read it in Peter. Psalm 35, verse 5 and 6. They looked at him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. 2 Samuel 22, verse 28. And you save an afflicted people, but your eyes are haughty on whom you abase. Psalm 10, verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, and do not forget the afflicted, the meek, the humble. Psalm 45, verse 4. And in, the, in your majesty, you ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. They go together. Do you see that? Meekness and righteousness, right living. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. And then I love Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus' words specifically. You know, those are the ones in red in your Bible. He says, what? Well, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble, meek in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your souls. Galatians 5.23, when he looks at the battling, if you walk in the flesh, or excuse me, oh yeah, walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the flesh, right? The, the lust of the flesh that way, Galatians 5.16. Well, in 5.23, a few verses down, what's he say? Gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There is no law. And our last one, I mean, we could spend all night going through the, the Proverbs and the, the, the Word of God here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, gentleness, and patience. Do we see what, what God's after? And, you know, I believe to be born again, it requires some degree of humility because we have to realize that we need a savior and that we have sin and that we can't work our way or we can't somehow absolve the sin that's before us. And we have to come to a humble and contrite heart to be willing to cry out to God and say, Lord, your will be done. Take your sin away, Lord Jesus. It's not your sin, but it's my sin. Take it away, Lord. He has no sin. <laughs> but he became sin for us that we would become the righteousness of, of God. You see, I, I love the Lord giving us examples. That's why I kind of camped out on these passages because as discipleship goes, and as we want to mature in the faith, we need to ask God to examine our hearts. Are we walking in meekness? Are we walking in humility? God desires it for us. It draws an intimacy. He approaches us when we're meek, when we're mild, when we're lowly. If you want a deeper relationship with God, ask him. Ask him. Lord, help me. You know? Verse 4. Suddenly, sometimes it's always doesn't work this way, Many times when we've messed up or blown it, there's a long, long suffering and judgment will come. Not, not in this case. Suddenly, God, right away, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meetings. I like it. You threes, get out over here. You know, that's what I picture in an Italian house. You threes, come over here right now. 
What are you thinking? See, in my, my house, it's you fours. Get over here. Right? My boys. Or my boys call it, you too. You know, I love how the Lord just, right, right about it. Come out, you three, to the tabernacle meeting. So the three came out. I guess so. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud. Can you imagine it? You're standing there. The Lord just says, come here. And he just said, I heard what you were doing. You know it's not going to end well. I mean, you know it's not going to end good. It's like going to the principal's office. You know it's like you're going to, you know, the Lord's coming down. The pillar's coming down. You're like, all right. You go out. Moses is like, mm. you know, he's just staying quiet. He's a meek man. He's lowly. He's like, I got nothing to do with this. And Aaron and Miriam are sitting there and they're like, we did it now. Right? And what happens? The Lord came down on a pillar of cloud. Imagine seeing this and stood at the door of the tabernacle. Wow. Right? A picture. Picture that. You know, this big cloud. Remember how big. You're talking twice the size of Philadelphia that everybody could look up and see this cloud to be able to follow it as a pillar by day and, and, and fire by night. This is huge. How many miles this thing? And all of a sudden, whoosh, right before you. It, it, you. Your attention. It's got your attention. God has got your attention. Your presence is like, whoa, okay, so he's right there, right? And he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. He says, you twos, come here. Then he said, hear now my words. You know, listen up, right? I'm going to say this once, you know? Isn't he a good dad? I mean, he's just a good dad. Come here. We're going to talk about this. He doesn't, you know, turn around and, you know, there's no psychology in this. There's just truth and transparency. It's beautiful. Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. What is he? He's explaining how he primarily speaks to those, you know, that the Lord has called or is speaking to. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. If he's faithful in all of my house, he is faithful in all my house, excuse me, I speak with him face to face. Again, that's an idiom. Clearly we know it. Like I said in Exodus, he's saying I speak with him intimately. Even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. I, I don't know what that means. I, I looked as much as I could to reach it. All the scholars say the same. We don't know. What does it mean to say you see the form? Is it the presence? Is it the shadow? We know that he saw the, remember when he saw the Shekinah glory and, and he put a veil and he was covering himself? You know, is it, is it the, you know, what is it exactly? Is it the back of God, the form of the back of God's head? We don't really know, but, but it's something very intimate. It's something that, probably no other man other than Jesus Christ and maybe one of the other prophets like Elijah when he passed by Elijah like that has, has really experienced. And he, he asks the question here, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He's saying, it's beautiful. First of all, what God's acknowledging is saying, I've called the man. He's Clearly, he didn't seek this out himself. Moses is a humble man, a meek man. He wasn't looking to pass to the church of two or three million of Israel, right? He, he, was, he was out in the land of Midian, you know. He was, he was out in that area in the wilderness. God called him, and he responded. And what we see here is he's saying, Miriam and Aaron, you're, like, you're his brother and sister. What are you thinking? How dare you come against one of God's? 
I mean, that's what he's really saying. He's like, to speak against my servant Moses, he's my servant. How dare you do that? He may be your brother. He may be, you know, your kin, your family. But he's my child, and he's my servant before he was ever yours. I want us all to think about that for a moment. I don't care what you do in ministry. You're all in ministry. You're just in ministry in different capacities. In your home, raising children, maybe you're out, maybe you keep the home. Whatever you do in a job, wherever the Lord has you, you're in ministry in some capacity. You're salt and light, right? If you're disciples of Christ, you're salt and light. School, wherever you are. I want you to just think about this for a minute. When you are serving in that capacity, sometimes, quite honestly, it's a... It's a it can be lonely, right? Because depending on what you're doing, only God has called you specifically to that. Uh, I think of my wife, right? The Lord's called me to be an under-shepherd here. But I think of my wife, as much as my wife and I are very intimate and very close, my wife's not a pastor. And not only that, but she's not the pastor here. And there's things that the Lord will reveal to me that's just for me and Jesus, and there's struggles that I'll go through that are just mine and Jesus's as God's humbling me and teaching me. And as much as my wife wants to help me, as much as my wife wants to prevent me from making mistakes, she has to give me up. Because why? Because I'm his son first. I'm his servant first before I'm her husband. It's the same with you. Before you were a mother, before you were a father, before you were a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, a nephew, aunt, uncle, a friend. You're God's child first if you're a born-again believer. And if you're not a born-again believer, you're God's creation first. But you belong to God. And there's an intimacy there. He says he knows every hair on your head. He knows everything about you. He desires intimacy in relationship. Sometimes we can forget that. You know, we can have the whole weight. Uh, you know, I, I'm blessed to have godly men around me, you know, pastors that are friends of mine and senior pastors in other Calvary chapels. And we, we get together quarterly, but we also talk to each other regularly. And I love when we can get together around a table and we're, we're all praying for the flocks that God's called us to and everything we're doing and praying for strength, for wisdom, gentleness, meekness, mildness lowliness. And as we're sitting at the table, many times we'll, we'll go into something we're struggling with personally, you know, on a personal level. And I love it when the Lord gives a word to one of those guys around that table. I had that situation, you know, I was a few years ago, remember I had some health issues going on with um, chlorine inhalation or whatever, you know, from mixing pools. Nobody lets me around chlorine pools anymore. But anyway, around the pool, my son was mixing the stuff. We had just bought a hot, okay. You'll have to go back and listen to the tape sometime. You know, go back and listen to the recording if you really want to, or ask somebody in here, they'll tell you how stupid your pastor is. Anyway, so I turned around and I'm doing this whole thing. I was really struggling. I said, Lord, am I going to lose my voice? Am I not going to be able to continue? Lord, you know, what am I supposed to do? And I'll never forget a brother turned to me was at his house, we were having dinner, senior pastor, he looks at me and goes, hey, remember one thing, you're the son of God first, before he ever called you in the ministry, 
before you ever did anything in your life, you were his son and you are his son. And no matter what happens in the ministry, no matter, no matter if there's good days and bad days and just like anything else, you are God's son and he loves you. I want to pass that on to you all. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever trial, no matter what ministry you lead, if you lead a ministry here or you lead a ministry at your job, maybe God's put you in a position of authority and you have, you're a supervisor or you look over after the, or maybe you're an individual contributor and God has you there. Don't ever forget you're a son or daughter of God first before you were ever an employee, before you were ever a husband, anything else. You see, Miriam and Aaron, they forgot that. They forgot who they were. And they began to, honestly, you know, there used to be saying, too big for your britches. Everybody remember that? A little too big for their britches at that moment. What happened? They began to assume a different position. This is not about being equal. Genesis 126 and 127 says male and female. This is not what this is about. This is about calling. God had given Moses the calling to lead. It doesn't make Miriam's role less important. It doesn't make Moses' role more important. It just means they all have different roles because if everybody tried to do the same thing, nothing would get done. So it's so hard to teach young guys in ministry that because they, they, you know, a lot of times they, they, all want to, they all want to be senior pastor tomorrow. You can't microwave ministry. It takes time. It's the same thing at your jobs, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. A lot of times kids will graduate today, I want to be the CEO. We used to start, right? Some of us remember, where'd you start? At the bottom. And you worked your way up. And you learned all the different trades as you worked your way up. And you learned what everybody did. We have a term for that in ministry too. You know what we call it? You're a ministry mutt. You're a ministry mutt. Our guys that go off to the school of ministry, one of the things they come back is their ministry months. They can serve in pretty, any, pretty much any capacity in the church because they've learned how to be servants before they ever learned how to be anything that would even connote a leader. Because if you can't serve, you can never lead. Because a real servant leads by example, just as Jesus did. Is that not what he did? See, I just saved you a whole lot of Dale Carnegie money and all that, uh, you know, how to, you know, manage and all. I just go to the Bible. All right, verse 9. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. It's interesting, if you read this, it almost sounds like Miriam didn't know she was leprous at first. Aaron turns and looks at him, he's like, you're a leper, you're white as snow. What do you think God was doing there? God was showing how leprous inside she was, and he was showing it on the outside, because it always begins in the heart. He was just making it so she could see. What is leprosy also an example of in scripture, a spiritual example of sin? He was showing the sin in her heart outwardly manifested so that everybody could see. And it's interesting because Aaron turns and notices it. And Aaron's like, whoa. I wonder, did Aaron not think about that when Miriam got together with Aaron and said, hey, you know what? Who does Moses think he is, this pastor, this leader? Who is he? 
How dare he turn around and try to lead these two and three million? You know, whatever, right? What you know? I can't believe he chose, you know, blue chairs instead of red chairs. What is he thinking? This is a democracy. Okay. So she turns white as a leper, right? So Aaron said to Moses, and this is, you got to wonder, was this pure of heart? It looks pure of heart, but I mean, he turns and he looks and he's like, whoa, leper, you're like white as snow, right? And he's looking at himself and he isn't leprous yet. You know what he's thinking? You're next, you're next. So he's looking and he's thinking, whoa, oh my Lord. All of a sudden it's a different response to Moses. It's not, hey, Moses, you know what, Moses? I don't know. I think you, uh, I don't think you're the guy. Now it's, oh, master, because that's what this means here. Oh, my Lord. Now, oh, my master. Now, boy, what a submissive response. Oh, master. Oh, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly. He realizes. He sees this. I, I do believe it's sincere, but I also believe he's frightened in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. He begins to, to compare it to almost a stillborn child, a stillborn baby that way. That's, he says, please don't let her be consumed as one is dead that way. And you want to see Moses' meekness and heart and, and the grace that he gets? What's he do in verse 13? Moses doesn't go, well, you got what you deserved. I mean, Moses would have had everybody doing that, right? I mean, this is his own sister that's coming against him in the ministry. I mean, it's, it's hard enough when you got, you know, wolves among the sheep and the wolves come up and go, hey, you know, what are you thinking here? I heard this on this radio talk show or on this TV program, and I know the Bible says this, but I don't really believe that. I believe this, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to debate you on that for 60 minutes. Well, how about we bring the word, right? I mean, I know you don't believe this, but it happens. Just like I'm sure it happens in your homes. You know, somebody comes over and you're talking about, you know, God and somebody might say, well, do you really believe? I can remember my father before he died. I remember he watched a History Channel special. Was Jesus married to Mary Magdalene? Oh, well, how blasphemous. He begins to watch this. I call him up, how you doing? And he turns around and he begins to, t he begins to say, did you know? And I said, in my Bible, Dad, it doesn't tell me that at all. I don't read a lick of that. There's no extra biblical evidence. There's nothing like that. Dad, where'd they cite that from? Well, it's a history channel. <laughs> no, Dad. An original source. Where did they cite? Is it? Archaeology? Is it where was it that they cited this information? I mean, anybody worth their salt cites the reference. I told you it's the History Channel. Okay, I knew I was losing that argument, right? I just just start praying for him, right? We we all have friends like that. We all have parents, relatives, people like that we know. But I mean, isn't that what we see here? Is that it's this challenge of authority, and yet. How do we respond? Do we, do we get emotional? Do we get angry? Or do we respond in meekness as Moses responds? Remember, we just read in Romans 
This is for you and I today. This is an example of how we're to respond. He wants us to respond the same way. He wants us to respond with kindness, mercy, grace, and love. That's, that's his desire for us because he knows that he knows that what it does is it, it calms the individual and calms the spirit and it opens up the possibility for them to receive the word of God. You know, what do they say? Turns away wrath. What? A soft word or a gentle word turns away what? Wrath. Okay. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, well, that's, that's good. We, we, you know, is this talking about, I mean, we have a couple, two examples, I think two examples in scripture um, where we know that if you did something uh, that was disrespectful, or like, you know, you, you didn't, you know, redeem some, you know, um, you didn't redeem somebody in a marriage that you were the kinsman redeemer. You could then take off your shoe. You could then spit in the face of the individual. Okay, there's examples of that in scripture, but I don't think that that's the context. That's not really what it's being. It says, if her father, we don't really see it that way, um, had spit in her face, would she not be ashamed for seven days? I think what he's saying is there are not consequences to the action, is what I understand from this. Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. Now, now think about this. Did this really just affect Miriam? No. Who did this affect? The whole camp. Why? Because we're going to read in a little bit here in chapter 13, they can't move on until she's back in the camp. Sin affects everyone. Sin isn't something we just keep concealed or hidden. Sin, sin reproduces and it affects everybody that way. But there's consequences to that sin. And, and I'm glad that God left this in there for times where I'm, I'm needing correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. I need that correction. And when I read this passage, it reminds me, okay, Lord, there's for such a time. For such a time. It's not that he hasn't forgiven me. God's forgiven all of us right away. But there's a time for consequence because we remember the consequences, don't we? They're long-lasting in our, in our mind, you know? So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. Can you imagine all the mumbling? They're complainers. You know they're complainers. They're always complaining, right? We just read about that in uh, verse 11. They were complaining. So they're sitting there going, come on, Miriam, let's go. Are you done yet? What are you doing? And Miriam's going, I don't know how long this whole thing's going to, right? I bet she thought twice. This is the same woman that when they crossed over the Red Sea, God had given her a word, a song that she began to sing beautifully. This isn't a woman that God never spoke to. God spoke to this woman. God spoke to Aaron. What happened is she and he began to allow pride to move them. That's what it comes back to. It's strife. It's pride. And afterward, the people moved from Hezeroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. 
Chapter 13, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now you can go and you can read in Deuteronomy uh, a little bit more detail on this, and you can see that that exactly didn't kind of happen this way. What really, I mean, yes, it's correct, but really what happened was that the people began to come up to Moses and say to Moses, hey, Moses, are you sure? Are you sure that uh, we shouldn't go check it out? What were they doing? Doubting the promises of God, right? And some scholars wondered, should Moses have given in or not given in to, you know, the people? Maybe he thought about it because after what just happened with Miriam and Aaron, maybe it sort of, you know, psyched them out a little bit. I don't know how else to say it. Got them thinking, what should I do? You know, am I not? You know, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's amazing how, you know, anyway. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy. So clearly God honors this. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. God's going to use this as a test. Which I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader from among them. These are not the same leaders as we read in um, the earlier chapters of Numbers. These, these are probably men that were maybe uh, battle-ready, you know, uh, skilled warriors, people like that, that he would, he would send out. These are not the same men that would have been the head of their tribes, okay? So Moses sent them to the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord and all of the men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now there were their names from the tribes of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zachor, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, or Jephunneh. He's, a, he's one you want to circle in your Bible, Caleb. From the tribe of Ishkar, Egal, or Igal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hosea, right, or Hoshea. And again, circle this one, the son of Nun. What does Hoshea mean? It means salvation. It means salvation. Hoshea. What's Yahoshia means? Yahweh, Yahoshia, Yah, God, or the Lord of Salvation, God, Salvation. What's that name we use? Well, Yoshia is in the Hebrew, or Joshua. What do we use in our English? We say Jesus, or in the Greek, right? Jesus, the one who brings, or the God of Salvation. Joshua, that's who that is, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadilil, the son of Sodi. From the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh. Gadi, the son of Sushi, or Susi. From the tribe of Dan, Emilil, the son of Gamaliel. Man, you just bear with me on these names. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael. All right. From the tribe of Natali, Nahibi, the son of Bosh, Vopashi. From the tribe of Gad, you, you all don't know if I'm saying these right either. So that's, I, you know, it's like, Gaul, the son of Mekai. They are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshi, the son of Nun, Joshua. And you know what's funny is Moses is going to go right up as far as he can go before he gets into the promised land, right? Remember, they're only 11 days away. I mean, they're, they're not that far away, 
right? You know, they could have made this journey in 11 days and been there. It's going to take them 38 years. But, but what's interesting is Moses is only going to be able to go because of his anger. He's going to be withheld from going into the land that God had promised. And so will that whole generation, except for two men, Caleb and Joshua, right? Now, it's interesting because when you think of his name again, you know, Hoshea, right? Yahushia, God of salvation, deliver, one that will come into the promised land, Jesus that brings them or delivers them into the promised land. Jesus who delivers them into paradise. He's who, what he does for you and I. That's what his work on the cross did. He delivers us to the Father in heaven. And he was already giving us a picture of it. A move Moses spent out to spy the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go into the mountains, and you see what land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. God had already told them he was giving them this land. What did that matter? He's testing them. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether they are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went out. I mean, when you think about these grapes, I can't help it. Think about these grapes. They're going to be the size of melons, man. Can you imagine going into your refrigerator? Think of the Flintstones. You remember the Flintstones in the cartoon we, you know, you grew up? And they had that big old Brontosaurus burger. And everything. Think of this big old grape. Like it would take up your whole icebox. You'd open the thing up in the refrigerator, and you have this big old grape in there. You just take a, a big bite out of it and like put it. They're literally going to, between two men, they're going to carry one stick, and they're going to put this grape, these bunches of grapes on it. That's how big it is because it's the land of the giants. You know, the, the Aiken the there. It's, I, I just, I'm excited about that. I hope we get to see those big grapes in heaven, man. Can you imagine that fruit being able to go up? Two people could share one grape, right? You still got to pull the skin off it, but still, you know. Because I'm thinking if it's that big, normal little grapes you can eat, but the skin might get, you know. I'm really thinking about these things, you know. You don't give skin to a baby, right? You peel the, the grape back on the skin for a baby so they don't choke, right? I'm thinking if they're big grapes, you got to do the same thing. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath, or Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, the Ptolemy, the descendants of Anak, again, those are the giants, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. I think that's great the Lord put that in there. Not sure why, but I, I've thought about it. I mean, now in Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Good to know. Good to know. Then they came to the valley of Eshkul, and there they cut down a branch with one cluster. Look at this. Cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. I want some of them grapes. They also brought some of them pomegranates and figs. I mean, that's awesome, Right? You guys clearly are not excited about these grapes as much as I am. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol, right? What's that mean? Literally, the cluster. And there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes and carried it between two of them on a pole. This also brought some of the pomegranates. Figs, we read that. It's, I read that this place is called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which was the men of Israel cut down there. 
And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Isn't that interesting that God, a lot of times in testings, it'll be 40 days or 40 years. Isn't that interesting as we read scripture? Just think about that. Underline that. 40 days or 40 years. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. Now Kadesh is right on that border. It's not too far. I mean, basically of Kadesh and then Kadesh Barnea. There's multiple. If you looked on a map, you might see five different Kadeshes. This is talking about Kadesh Barnea, which is really right on the border, very close to that border, okay? So it says, they brought back word to them and all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Hey, they're excited about it too. First thing they did when they got back is, look at these grapes. Look at these figs. Not Calvary Chapel, Harrisburg. Y'all need to eat your fruit. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you, where you sent us. Wait a minute. You sent us? Or God sent us because you turned around and, all right, let's get it right. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, hold on now. The people who dwell in the land are strong, stronger than God. The cities are fortified and very large, bigger than God. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Are they taller than God? There's been rumored some of the Anaks that caskets they saw, doorways and gate 13 feet, 13 feet long. Okay, some big dudes. But at the end of the day, David didn't stand a chance, did, that, did the giant, Goliath. Did he stand a chance? No, because God was with him. What's this test about? About trusting in the Lord. Where are they going to put their, their faith? In what they can see and understand or what God's already promised and delivered to them. It was theirs for the taking. How often does God do that in our lives? He presents us with something. It's there for the taking. And we literally wander for 38 years. 40 years because we're afraid or we doubt. And that's exactly what happened here. Not only did they doubt, but they exaggerated their doubts. Doubts are never based on reality. Doubts are always exaggerated. It's always bigger. The fear is bigger than the reality of it because of our perception of it. Do you think God wants us to learn a little something about this, about how we operate so that we turn around and don't make the same, you know, make the same mistakes like that? There's a choice, friends. We, we can make that choice to believe God in his word. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the, let's just call them the Ites, dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. What a man, what a brave man. Can you imagine two or three million people? Everybody's watching. You got the other guys with you that went up with you. The other 11, 10, really, she got Joshua there. And they're giving this false report. I mean, they're lying. They're exaggerating. And Caleb turns around and goes, what are you thinking? Let's go take the land now. Are you willing to stand up like Caleb in the midst when everybody's looking around you and going, it can't be done, and you're the only one? Are you willing to stand in the gap like Caleb? God used Caleb. God's going to use Joshua, and they're the only two that are going to actually make it into that promised land. Everyone else is going to be disqualified because of their unbelief, 
because of their sin and doubt. I love, I love Caleb. He quieted the people. Let us go out at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. It might as well said, and they're stronger than God. Caleb? Because isn't that what they're saying? They're stronger than God, Caleb. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. What? You just came back with these big cluster of grapes. I'm not going to let that go. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Yes. But when you put your eyes on men instead of God, you do begin to doubt. But when your eyes are on Jesus, what are you afraid of? What are you doubting? What's impossible when God is leading the way? As Jesus said, are ye of little faith? We need to hear that. We need to hear that. I need to hear that. Not to say that bad things don't happen. They do. But nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. What are we afraid of as a people that we run? We miss out on the best blessings God has for us. Are we willing to stand alone? Are we willing to be Caleb's? Husbands, sometimes this is you and your home. You're the pastor of your home. Are you willing to stand on the word? Wives, sometimes this is you in your home. Are you willing to stand on the word? Are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to trust him with your life, with your children, with your finances, with everything? Are you willing to trust him? Do you really trust God? Remember, Moses was a man of intimacy. He's given it all to God. Are you willing to do the same thing? I think we all want that. I really believe that. As believers, I really believe we all want that, but sometimes we get afraid, and that's okay too. Because God comes in, and he puts his hand around us, and he scoops us up and puts us in his bosom, and he just holds us and tells you, I got this. Keep your eyes on me. It's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you through this and I'm going to bring you home. That's God's promise to us. Every day, every moment, every circumstance, his promise doesn't waver. There we saw giants. Are you willing to let your circumstances change your direction or your belief? Do your circumstances dictate your faith? Just think about that. Do your circumstances dictate the amount of faith you have? And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Yes, in your sight you were. But that's not how God saw you. God saw you as a precious people that he chose to make you his and a covenant established with you back in Genesis. 
and he's going to redeem them. To this day, they're still his precious chosen people. And so we were in their sight. We'll read on, and what's going to happen is we're going to find out that they refuse to go. They would rather believe the ten than to turn around and be the witness of the two. They would rather believe the ten than to believe the promise of God. Friends, tonight, I, I don't know where you're all at when it comes to your spiritual walk. I don't know where it comes to the practicality of what's going on in your lives. I imagine you're all on God's journey, on a path that he's placed you on in some capacity. Maybe new seasons. Maybe a different season. But when you're on that path, even though it feels like you're alone, as I mentioned earlier, Moses probably felt alone often. You might feel alone. But you and God are a multitude. And you are never truly alone. And if you put your eyes and your faith in him and you trust him, you will always get to your destination on time. But when you trust in your own understanding and your wisdom, I can assure you, you'll take the 38-year route. It's our choice. 11 days or 38 years. God wrote this for you and I tonight. As we would sit together here, that we would ponder and think about these things. We'd run them through the grid of our minds and through scripture. And we begin to apply them or apply this to our lives. Ask God, Lord, what are you showing me? What do you have me to do with this? It's not just coincidence. What do you want me to learn from this? And how can you direct my path with it? I promise you do that. Your walk in intimacy with God will never be the same. You'll be praying like Moses, show me your glory. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Go ahead and read chapter 14 for next week and chapter 15 as well. I pray you're being blessed by the word of God. I pray it's transforming your hearts. I'm praying it's encouraging you all and maybe even convicting some of you. And that's okay. The Lord of the Lord convicts me all the time. But I pray you allow it to have its work in you and that you, you allow it to transform you and change you. More like him, right? Ever decreasing. Isn't that our motto here? Ever decreasing. More of you, Jesus, less of us. Ever decreasing. Father, we, we pray that now, tonight, Lord. We want to be Caleb's and Lord Joshua's. Ever decreasing, Lord. More like you, Jesus. More, more like what we learn about you, God, and your character, your love, your meekness. Lord, to see Moses' meekness, Lord. How he was willing to not even fight back that way, Lord, but to be wrong rather than wrong someone else. Lord Jesus, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful to see that when it's done right. God, doing that, I know, draws us in a closer relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for your flock here tonight, Lord, that you will draw ever closer to them and they ever closer to you. And that the relationship, Lord, today and tomorrow is greater than it was yesterday. And that as they begin to trust you more, Lord, as they begin to put one foot in front of the other, God, that you will comfort and meet them along the path 
through the tests and trials, Lord, they'll remember that they can trust you and their eyes belong fixed on you and their circumstances will never dictate, Lord, what's going to happen because you, God, alone are the author and finisher of the work you've begun. Have your way in us here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people, Lord, that you would keep them. Lord, make your face, your countenance to shine upon them, be gracious to them, Lord. Do lift it up upon them, Lord, and your countenance, that is, and give them just a perfect peace tonight, Lord. Wash them white as snow, Lord. Wash their minds, just cleanse them tonight that they would walk out of here 500 pounds lighter, Lord. So all the things that have been going on, Lord, they just free. As they walk out of here knowing the perfect plan you have for them and the peace you want to give them. Lord, I pray, continue to write your name upon them for their blood bought and they're your children. Bless them, Father, as you love to do. That's that's what you do, God. That's who you are. We pray and we ask this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. And I look forward to seeing you all on Sunday as the Lord should lead.